Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Just don't go set up. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another spring football edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. I am Jeff Howe, and if you can tell, spring is in full swing in Austin, Texas, because the allergy issues hit me over the weekend <laughs> pretty hard uh, with all with this front and all kinds of stuff we got going in. I am actually as bad as I sound today as we record this on uh, Wednesday. I was much worse on Monday and Tuesday. It was pretty pretty rough yeah i've heard like the I, I don't know anything about it my girlfriend keeps over it pollen counts are really high and oak i think was oak, yeah, oak, high, yeah. I, I, there's, there's like a ton of things that basically can set off people's allergies in this town mm-hmm. oak and pollen and, and all that kind of stuff. Let's be, cedar let's set the record straight once again you're not an allergy sufferer no man i've been living it. i'm blessed honestly because I, I, i've never had to deal with it but yeah i, I, I had several different girlfriends who and, and my girlfriend's from like she's from the pacific northwest so hers is really bad. She yeah. had no like adaptation to yeah. it over time. She just came here. No tolerance. Yeah, so she'll like miss have to miss work because it would be so bad for her. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. She'll wake up and her whole face is like swollen and she's red, eyes messed up. And I'm like, man, that sucks. Like yes. I don't know what. It's nothing you could do for somebody right. who suffers from allergies. Yeah. Like it's nothing I can do to help you. And that's the you sad thing I mean? about allergies is really nothing you can do even if you suffer for them. You just sort of got to deal yeah. with them. What if you're broke? Because yeah. you gotta have like you gotta buy like all these like different things across over the counter stuff. Then you gotta go to an allergist too. You go to an oh, allergist. Yeah. I don't go to an allergist. Dude, so it's not that bad yet. No, I uh, yeah. I usually just go to my doctor and tell them, hey, I'm having some allergies. Get like a shot. I either get the shot or they write me a prescription for some prednisone. Yeah, Craig Way gets the shot all the time. Or you get Craig the, Way has allergies bad. You would never know, but he gets like a shot that keeps him from. Basically, like, it's like a week long. It keeps him from having. Well, to deal I think with we it. should have all deducted by now. Craig is a cyborg. Yes, so, he was here freak. today. I couldn't believe really, it. Really, really? I yes. saw Craig yesterday too. When you have a Craig Way sighting, it's always like, "Hey, it's Craig." <laughs> it should be on the radio. Get be, back yeah, next exactly. to the microphone. He's doing like eighteen different sports. So I was, it's hard uh, to see Craig. I was at the baseball game Monday night against McNeese in the press box working, and you know, it's it's a it's a Monday game against McNeese. There's like oh, yeah. ten yeah, people no there, but I can hear Craig had the door to his booth open, so I could hear Craig doing the game, and I just want everybody around me to shut up so I can watch the game, and I'm hearing Craig simultaneously <laughs> do play by play like two doors. Best down. of both. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, no, nah, that was good. That's how but, Longhorn fans are, though. I've had, to, when I do the side, when I used to do the sideline stuff, they were like, hey, what's the radio station hmm. for the flagship for Craig Way? Whether I be whether it be in Texas OU or on the road in Kansas like or Stillwater, they want to hear Craig whatever, yeah. while they watch the game. And I think mm-hmm. it, the, it's a little off. It's like two or three seconds off, so it's a little annoying, mm-hmm. but that's how most people love Craig Way. Oh, yeah, there there are some games where I will uh, I'll take the headset with me, some earbuds with me, and listen to the radio call yeah. in the press box while I'm working. Yeah, I agree with that. Because, but honestly, that actually helps because Craig's like so there's informative. Yeah, uh, it helps because there's injury information that Quan will and Rod, you know this. That's mm-hmm. true. That the sideline yeah. reporter will get before yeah, yeah, yeah. it has a chance to get to television to, to the SID in the press box. Yes. So that way, because. 
here's a little insight on how mm-hmm. it works. So uh, anybody that knows the SIDs, Thomas Step is the SID who's on the sideline yep. for games. If there's an injury, Thomas will go tell Rod first as a sideline mm-hmm. reporter. That information, Thomas then sends it to John Bianco in the press box, and John tells us. So usually yeah. Rod or Quan or whoever the sideline reporter is is able to report that information Very true. before we get it in the press That's box. That's a good point. Yeah, you're right, because when you see somebody hobble off the field or hop off the field, you immediately go find John Bianco. They literally tell you that in instructions on the sideline reporter, and yeah. John will have the update ready for you. Yeah, right. they don't like want to. Right from that, from the trainer right there on the spot who's you know dealing with it, diagnosing it right to you. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So the, so that actually helps listen to radio broadcasts for football. But anyway, well, there you go. Uh, we'll talk spring football and the time we have today uh, here on Longhorn Books. By the way, uh, just a little off topic here at the beginning. It's WrestleMania week. You guys excited? Woo! Yeah. yeah, baby. I'm, not I'm excited. excited. I talked to Mark Henry about it like last week. He's not, I don't think, like having any like participation. Well, he is. He's going in the Hall of Fame. He's participating in, yeah, the Hall of Fame, yeah. but he's not actually like wrestling. Right. I don't believe. Right. Right. Being honored. That's okay, even better. You can answer this. What was, uh, how many? Uh, how often does a does a guy who's not officially retired get inducted to the Hall of Fame? Because he's not officially not retired. Not very often. Um, right. Like, you can count. Like, uh, let me see if I can think of the guy. So it's we, very rare. Ric Flair went in the oh, night before Flair. his retirement match. He's never retired. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to, I think they Sh- did give Tebow a statue before he left school. I think Sean. Oh, that's true. That's a yeah, good point. That's, that, that's yeah, one of I the very few rare ones. Yeah, Sean right. Michaels may or may not have gone in the night before his retirement match. I don't remember for sure. So a handful. Right? It's uh, rare, though, right? Goldberg's going in this year, so he's another one that hasn't officially retired. Retired. Okay. Um,. Yeah, not it that ain't, many it guys. Is, that's, that's what I thought. I was asking Mark many. Henry about. It. He was like, "I don't know," and I was like, "I think I don't think that's how it works, bro. I think like you had so much longevity that are like, well, he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Let's just put him in the class. Usually, you have to retire for any Hall of Fame. Yes, right. you know that I mean? would basically be like, okay, well, Brady, you're just in right now. You can do that. You, you, you got can put Brady in right left, now. But you yeah. can put Brady in right now, and nobody would argue against it. No. That's about <laughs> it. Yeah, I mean, Belichick I was too, gonna though. say it would have been like say Bonds and Clemens could have, but the steroid thing kept them away. But certain yeah. people, like if there was a golf Hall of Fame, Tiger'd be in it right now. I think then the, Tiger would be the perfect one because everybody would have thought he was gone. Out and Ooh, then you're right. now he's kind of yeah. so sort of. I thought like Jeff's example. Tiger I think the, the Hockey Hall of Fame did that like the day Gretzky retired. They're like, all right, mm-hmm. we're making an exception. This guy didn't have to wait. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah you're nicknamed. Done deal. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, but uh, anyway, so yeah, it's WrestleMania week. I'm not as excited as I have been in years past, but that's usually not, that's. I just I haven't had with the baby and everything. I haven't had a chance to uh, watch the product a whole lot, so yeah, I watch it this Sunday. Um, plus my network subscription expired. I missed like the last two pay-per-views because my subscription expired. It didn't lapse. It was one of those deals. My debit card number got compromised. It got stolen. So then I had to change cards and and I didn't update the card. And so. And then now you got priorities way above. Right. Yeah. (laughs) WWE Network is not at the top of the list of things I got to do once the debit card number gets compromised. But, uh, anyway, not, not, not as excited as I have been, but, uh, you know, it's good that this week people are like, whoa, the people, you know, you see WWE or. Bleach reporter, mm-hmm. whomever running all the ten best WrestleMania matches, ten best WrestleMania cards, ten worst matches or whatever. So that stuff's always fun to go back and read. This what's week. the greatest WrestleMania of all time then? Like the actual pay per view. Well, I remember yeah, he what's pay per views? Yeah, what's the in, in terms of the main bouts in every WrestleMania? Because I, I know that obviously the, the I can put them as you na- if you name a WrestleMania number, I can probably what's the Hulk Hogan Andre Bowls. the Giant. WrestleMania. WrestleMania did. three, Pontiac Silverdome. Yeah, that yeah. was a classic one, right? Um, seventeen. Seventeen is considered top to bottom, probably the best. 
That's my favorite too. Seventeen. I don't Seventeen. That main event was Stone Cold Steve Austin against The Rock in the Astrodome. Actually. Oh, now yeah. that probably that, well, that, that was, was like late nineties. Talking about top two thousand one. When you get goats like that, like top five all time greatest that are taking that are actually have a matchup in WrestleMania, that, and we don't know at the time they're gonna end up being top five in their goats. prime. And the build for that yeah, was uh, that's the, why I say that it's yeah. the best build. Anybody that's into like promos or stuff like that, they're uh, they did a promo video uh, to to promote that match. Uh, this is gonna be funny. The Limp Biscuit song "My Way," which actually sounds funny, but that's some <laughs> of the best, some of the best video work Just WWE's so ever done. So, who, uh, who won? Austin did. Wow. That was Stone part Cole, of his of uh, part of his heel turn that okay. night. Okay. But uh, yeah, but yeah, Matt. I mean, usually if you name a number, I, I mean, I can probably tell you what the what the main event was and where. So have they always had? Because this blew my mind. Because I always call this the best sports month already. Because you get the NCAA tournament, and then when the Monday ends is the same week as the Masters. Right. So have they always had WrestleMania on Masters Sunday, or is this no, just a coincidence? No, like, it's yeah, it's gotta be a coincidence. Yeah, it moves around. Cause yeah. Usually, I didn't remember it being an April. It, it would have no been way. April first. Actually, WrestleMania seventeen was on April first, two thousand. One, but yeah. it, it, it's usually like right around April first. But because of Easter Sunday being on April first this yeah, year, yeah, it was weird. They moved it back. Yeah. So yeah, it, it sometimes it does in that month. Yeah, it's sports. usually like the That's last cool. weekend in March. When first is that uh, Andre the Giant documentary come out? That's like April tenth. Yeah, next yeah, week it's coming out. I saw yeah. it on That's HBO. Be then that Paterno. I saw the previews oh, yeah. for Paterno and it's Pacino playing Paterno, and it's I was like, man, that he the way that they sh- just shot that film to mimic some of the real life, yeah. you know, film we've seen. Mm-hmm. I was like, that looks a little eerily creepy. I don't know how good it's going to be this oh, late in his good. life, but I bet it's gonna it, be oh yeah, awesome. no, it's going to be interesting for sure. All right, so let's go ahead and get on with us some Texas football talk. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He's the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. Yes, sir. Masters week. I've been jacked up. So how does this impact you for uh, fantasy purposes? Uh, I used to, The last few years, I really did a ton of uh, fantasy golf. This year with basketball, it's just super tank fest. I didn't get to do as much research. But the Masters, man, if you'd like golf, it's well worth just putting in a team like a $20 team and have a chance to win a million where you pick six guys. But this year, a ton of Longhorns. I don't know if y'all have looked at it and seen who's in the tournament, but Doug Gim, a guy right. that right now, he's one that if you look at some of his metrics for all the amateurs, pretty good. But then, of course, you got Spieth in there, but Johnny Vegas is also in. And then Dylan Fratelli is sort of in the fantasy world, one of the diamonds in the rough that, you know, he's on a per-dollar value. Say you got a guy like Spieth up over 10000 in the mythical salary cap. Fratelli's about... 6700 so you can get him real cheap so okay. it can afford you a guy like Spieth. So cool seeing those four Longhorns in there right after, you know, Crenshaw sort of passed the torch on. And it was nearly Spieth. five because Bo Hostler nearly got himself in. I couldn't one. believe Bo and didn't get in just because of how well he was golfing yeah. all the past two months. I thought he was a shoe-in, and then Fratelli started doing really well yeah. late. Uh, he knows, uh, he knows a little bit about golf, man. That's why he's the Renaissance man here on our show. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UTL America, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award, fourth round draft choice of the New York, of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and he with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL. When he was done with football, got himself back to Austin, Texas into 40 acres where he earned his degree. If he knew where his T-ring was, he would wear it proudly. <laughs> Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts. Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks for the intro, brother. Let's go ahead and start the uh, spring football discussion with the fact that, man, we're at the halfway point of spring practice. If you don't include the spring game, it's 14 practices. Practice 7 wrapped up on Tuesday. Man, not only does spring ball sneak up on us, but, man, this thing has flown by. 
Yeah, it has flown by. And there have been there have been a lot of storylines necessarily from spring practice. Like a lot, you know what I mean? Like that. I think the big yeah. out of them. I don't know what the biggest storyline so far is. Probably, now, obviously, quarterback is a big discussion. That's all. It's, and it, it always is. It's where Texas it's in a post McCoy world. Quarterback's gonna be. Yeah, yes. we can talk about quarterback. Um, but yeah, like I wonder what the like yeah like what's the nugget coming out of spring practice? Yeah, to it's hard me. To find them. I think it's that other position in the backfield that I think really worries Tom Herman. I, I've talked to Rod. I, I mentioned this on the show. I mentioned mm-hmm. it when I've been on on our other uh, on our friends on on Wonderful Nine the Horn. Whether I'm on with Bucky and Aaron in the morning or Chad and Kevin in the afternoon, and I said, "What what should really concern Tom Herman?" And he finally said it. And I said this weeks ago. I think if you sat him down and asked him what he's really concerned about, I think running back would be one thing he's really concerned about because Texas needs to be much better at that position. You think about this. Deontay Foreman in 2016 <laughs> rushes for over 2,000 yards. Yeah. It's the best, and think about this, the best season statistically ever for a junior running back at the University of Texas. Yeah. You think about and granted, Earl was hurt his junior year, but you think Ricky had a great junior year? Go yeah. through Cedric Benson's junior year, mm-hmm. all the great junior campaigns. Deontay Foreman had the best statistically. One of the best just overall. Right. Wins the Doak Walker Award. You go from 2000, getting over 2,000 yards from your running back position to last year, Sam Ellinger is your leading rusher with 385 net yards. That's the lowest total for Texas leading rusher since 1958. That's that. mind-blowing. I mean, you didn't just fall off a cliff, Rod. You fell into the abyss Yeah. in terms of your running back production. That's great. And I know a lot of that is linked to the offensive line issues, too. Uh, So that is actually one of those problems. Yes, you need a – Dynamic playmaker in the backfield, not just a guy that can move the chains. I think you got a you got a few of those guys right now that can move the chains. You need a guy that can change the game. Yeah, they don't have that. Right from what you've told me, and a lot of folks that I trust in the recruiting game, Keontae Ingram can be that guy. He's got that kind of potential to be a game changer. Yeah, uh, and to be a game changer, I think you got to be in Tom Herman's offense. Uh, not always, because Deontay Foreman wasn't used as a pass catcher much. But Deontay Foreman actually is underrated as a pass catcher. Like, he makes really good plays in the passing game. He, just wasn't, he wasn't more. asked to do it a he lot. He wasn't asked to do it a lot. Uh, you know, they used a lot of play action. They wanted him to pound the rock. Mm-hmm. But in Tom Herman's offense, ideally, go look at his running backs at U of H. Go look at his, you know, those running backs, even at Ohio State. They want to use their running backs in the passing game. Going like to Iowa State. Yeah, he yeah exactly. He he wants to do that, and right now you don't really. And he actually did that, even even though you know we offense wasn't up at times. Go look at how many times the running backs ended up slipping out of the backfield at those wheel routes to be pass catchers. Once Tom Herman started putting his fingerprints on the offense, the right. later in the year it got, the more those young running backs they used, they used them in the passing game. He would like ideally a guy that can that can have that multiple skill set. Uh, Keontae Ingram, uh, you know, from what I've studied so far, it looks like he can be that player. Yeah, Rod, I think, too, the other thing, and, and this goes into being a game changer, a guy that can account for the unblocked defender, a guy that can yep. maximize runs. And, you know, the offensive line situation, you look at it this spring, and the, the, the most unfortunate thing that happened up front was Mikey Grandy being out with a concussion, and he's out for an undetermined amount of time. Uh, wasn't at practice on Tuesday, uh, and as we record this on Wednesday, obviously we don't know if he's going to be available to practice on Thursday or not. But Mikey Granny was injured last week, so that's a guy that when you recruit a JUCO guy, as I say all the time, you don't recruit those guys to sit on the sit bench. On the, yeah, no you recruit those guys to come in and be difference makers, be impact players, compete for a starting spot. Exactly right. So now that you don't have that, Rod, you're almost back to square one with your offensive line where you kind of got what you got. And – you know, they did a little shuffling in the scrimmage on Saturday. Elijah Rodriguez working some left tackle. They kicked Denzel Okafor down inside a guard. But with the way your numbers are, 
you can't really cross train, I think, the way ideally Herb Hand would want to. So basically what I'm saying is your offensive line situation, while I think it can be better than it was last year, you're not going to see Texas make this jump from no, subpar agree. offensive line play to one of the better offensive lines in the Big 12. I think the goal for this group, the ceiling should be if, you, if by the end of 2018, if you can call this an average offensive line, that's mm-hmm. huge strides for that group from where it was last year. Because last year it was one of the worst in the country. Yeah, and right. if you yeah. just look at And one the, of the worst Texas offensive lines we've seen. Yeah. Yeah. With yeah. a first-round pick on it. Potentially, potentially. We don't know if for Cutter a couple is, games. For a few games, right. yeah. So we don't know if Cutaway is going to be well. But yeah, you had that guy at your disposal for a while, and still, yeah, it was still one of the most underperforming, underwhelming offensive yeah, Exactly. Games. Even with Connor Williams, go look at the Maryland game and the Texas Tech game. It yeah. wasn't exactly great days for the run game. No, and you look at the offensive line just with the standard line yards per carry last year. 102nd in the nation was Texas, and it was a full quarter of a yard down from the national average. So you're talking 40 spots away from the national average, which is just not even satisfactory for the Longhorns. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at the standard downs run rate, they actually were 95th also. So also didn't even run the ball very often in run situations, which shows that you aren't confident in your run game. Then when you add one thing that was sort of good now, it's weird, you got to follow me with this, because when Jeff talked about make, getting guys that have to make people miss, actually, surprisingly, you look at what Texas did last year, the percentage of solo tackles, you normally would think that's a bad thing, but when you're looking at offensive stats, it's actually good because it shows that you've put yourself in a situation to be one-on-one. Yeah. So if you get those athletes, like Jeff says, that then you're able to win those battles, that's when you bust big plays. Texas was actually above average in the percentage of solo tackles that they were tackled by a solo tackle. So if you you rank 41st in the nation, it's 77% of the time Texas players were tackled, it was via solo tackle. The national average is down by like 73 point something. So when you look at it, at least you were getting yourself maybe into situations via scheme or whatever that individualized you one-on-one, but you weren't winning those battles because we didn't have the athletes that Jeff was just talking about Texas needing. Yeah. No, I agree with that 100%. You want the – and I, I – That's why I, you want it. It's weird that you want to be solo tackled to look at those things, but that's actually a well, good that's number the, in that's sports. That's what you're – as, a, as, a, as one an on offensive one – Yeah, an offensive coordinator, all you're trying to get mm-hmm. is the one-on-one. Yes. If, right. Because it's a numbers game. If you can get the one-on-one, whether it be outside with the wide receiver and a defensive back, you then you rely on your recruiting to recruit the better athlete and your coaching for that guy to have better technique and better execution, and that's when you want to win the 50-50 balls. All right? Yeah, and, so if you get a – a, a, mm-hmm. a running back and hold a linebacker. Yeah, you need a guy like Deontay. Deontay Foreman was great at it. Like yeah. Deontay Foreman right. never got tackled by the first tackler. Like he right. just didn't. You couldn't tackle him. You really would have to. It would take multiple guys to discombobulate him to throw him off, and then you'd have to find a way to bring him down. And Texas doesn't have that. And you know, going back to like what we were talking about about a guy that can be a multiple uh, threat as a runner and also as a pass catcher. You know, I threw that stat out there a long time ago about the thirty forty club. It's uh, guys who have at least 30 rushes and 40 receptions in the mm-hmm. season. You think, like, oh, man, a lot of guys get that. Actually, they don't. Like, no. I think it's average is like 11 guys per year in the FBS can actually reach that threshold. Mm-hmm. And the last time Texas had one of those guys, it was Chris Obanaya in 2008. <laughs> and he barely got there. And he barely got there. 
Uh, but look how multiple that offense is. He actually was the one that made it multiple. Other than that, it would just be Cole McCoy throwing to Quan Cosby and Jordan Shipley. It was Chris Obanaya's multiplicity. He played more downs on offense than any other player in 2008 other than Colt McCoy. Yeah. All right? He was the most important, yeah. most versatile piece for Greg Davis. And before that, on the 40 acres, you had to go back to Eric Metcalf to find a guy who had at least 30 receptions, 30 rushes and 40 receptions in a season. So my point being, I think Tom Herman ideally wants that kind of player. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that's what that would help his pro, uh, the pro spread offense, as he calls it, yeah. it'll reach its ceiling to have that kind of multiplicity within and the And that's why Texas fans have been so frustrated with guys when you, or with, say, the scheme when you see guys like DeJay Johnson, where you think, oh, he ha- fits what you were talking about, that mold that oh, we can use man, they wasted as that a safety valve. Like wasted you see, him. but when you have a, yep. yeah, basically, you have that type of continuity from above the vision yeah. with the offense to the quarterback and have the pieces. Yeah. And then to be able to have that in the chaos, wasted. react play by DJ play. DJ Monroe, he was yeah. same skill set, wasted him. He yep. just wasted him. That, you know the one mean? guy Nick Saban's ever been afraid of for Texas football, DJ Monroe, it's amazing. wasted him. Yeah, Marquise Goodwin's another. Yeah, Marcus Gum was another guy like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, Rod, so let me ask you this. When we talk about the running game, and we, we talked about this, that Texas should have, and Matt's got the, the advanced statistics to back it up. Texas probably, not that they would have been, you know, gone from a subpar running game, a below average running game to average or above average, had they run the ball more. But we looked at it and said, yeah, there's something to that. Had they just focused a little bit more on running the ball on on the opportunities there, they could have got a little bit more out of it. What's the stat about Mm -hmm. the 40 rushes or more? They didn't lose a game when they ran it for 40. (laughs) They were undefeated. That's a simple right there. So so how much – I always like quantitative questions. How much can this run game realistically improve – if they just run the ball more, like I don't think they're going to be one of the better run games in the Big 12, but no. could those, I don't know, six to eight extra rushing attempts per game where you're not putting the ball in the air and risking turning it over, could that be the difference between seven wins and nine wins? I mean, think about it. If you – think about running the ball that's important. I'm going to talk like some football here and just kind of get away from me specifically from Texas is – not only can you – people always talk about tempo, right? This team goes fast tempo. They're up tempo, and this yeah. team slows it down. When you can run the ball, you actually control and dictate the tempo mm-hmm. of the game. Mm-hmm. Like, I can go fast if I want to go fast. I can slow it up. I'll keep their offense off the field. Like, all those different things. I rest the, my the defense. The quantity of plays yes. is up to you. You get to choose you the pace, to, the exactly. variance. Yes. yes. So, if you want to go up tempo and you think that's an advantage, go up tempo. Yes. But you can still run the ball. If you want to go slow it down, slow it down. Here's another stat. I, I found this out just doing stats. Um, I was just looking at random stats, going down a rabbit hole the other day. Do you realize all the four teams in the college football playoff had at least three different rushers on their team rush for 500 yards. Man, but that fits all your that fits your them. profile. Yeah, all four. You know how many there are total in in all of the Power Five conferences? They're like eight. They're like eight in all the Power Five conferences, and four of them ended up in the college football playoff. You, you know had I mean? that. I remember, I remember you did the research on that back whenever oh, yeah. it was the amount of teams in it. In the BC, lit, it was a BCS. It was like sixteen era. of twenty teams yeah. had had great success. Had great success. All right, won double digit games or went to a BCS. Mm-hmm. So I think what you can run the ball successfully, you can dictate the same. You're like, man, my defense cannot. Uh, they cannot defend that offense. They're too prolific. I'm gonna keep both of them on the bench. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And give my defensive coordinators time to figure out a plan. Or you know what? They can't hold us. They can't cover our wide eyes. They 
can't do this. We have this advantage up front. We got the numbers advantage. Whatever it is, they can't stop us. So let's speed it up. Yeah. Let's run the ball and let's impose our will. Let's wear down that defense. So many different advantages you have with just being able to run the ball. And like you said, you minimize risk. All right. So mm-hmm. your young freshman quarterback you had out there that. may not be may not make so many mistakes because he's not put in such a difficult position. Man, the play action now is why I'm now you want your one on ones on the outside with your speed guys like John Bird and Lil Jordan Humphrey and Colin Johnson who's six six. I get one on ones because you better come stop this running game or you're gonna be humiliated, embarrassed, and emasculated. All right, because that's what a running game does. It, you cannot let a running game. That's why Todd Orlando, his modus operandi is what? What's the first step? Mm-hmm. Stop, stop the run yeah because i'm not gonna let you demoralize me and demoralize my guys by just running the football no 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 you're gonna have to at least get outside your comfort zone you i'm gonna dictate what you're gonna do so it all starts there and that's why i'm with you i think they got to commit to it more i understand last year was like pounding your head against a brick wall mm-hmm. but man you ran about 40 times or more you won i know i'd be like oh that stat doesn't mean anything i'm like well it's a it's a pretty awesome trend yeah. that I would try to stick to if and, I were you. And you by the mean? end of it, your quarterback was choosing to run into a brick wall when no receivers were open. And that's <laughs> why he got hurt because you, you didn't yeah, have enough so running like, backs and things like that. Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about uh, running the ball and you got brought up the actual effects that it has on, say, gameplay with play action or, like, psychologically uh, or physically open. on the opponent. And then, though, the one thing that's really underrated is a point about pace because with the run game, it gives you control that then you get to choose that pace now if you aren't as good of a team you if you're trying to win you want to limit those possessions and keep that variance luck on your side you know you so you run the clock but if say you're a team that's confident but you still want to be able to control you then because the more pace you play with the more plays more simple more of an accurate depiction of who you are comes out so like say in basketball right now the teams that tank are running because they know if they play bad and play bad on 110 possessions instead of 95, the bad team's going to lose more often than 15. It eliminates that variance. Yeah. So the main thing is running gives you control. Yeah. You then control the yep. game script, the, the play. Line Not only yeah. do you control the, the defense has to react via play action or the run or psychologically that they're getting beat down or physically that they're tired, but then you actually get to play out the type of game that you want to play, and it's in your hands, not in the opponent's hands, which is a huge advantage. And then if you like your match, Matchups, you can go fast and go, and then you might get a better depiction, and or you can slow it down if you think you're playing a team that's better than you and limit the amount of possessions yeah. and hope that variance is on your the, side. The last time Texas had three different rushers rush for at least 500 yards, they won a national title. Yeah, and the last time they came close to it was when they won nine games. I want to say in 2013 was it Max last year? Mm-hmm. Remember, that's when they had Gray and Brown yeah, and Bergeron. You know what I mean? It ain't. I mean, it ain't rocket science, man. It ain't chess. It's checkers. But <laughs> those teams that have the ability to do that, Jeff, to have that much talent, that much depth, and that much uh, physicality and dominance on the O line. There are only like ten. There are only a few teams in college football right. that can do that. And right. Texas is one of those teams, though. <laughs> you know what I mean? They are up there with the Ohio State. Ohio State also in one of those teams that have three different rushes rush for at least five Jets. Um, you know, they're up there with Clemson and and Bama and you know all those teams. So I think that should be the goal of his kind of pro spread. Right. The the issue Texas is facing right now is two pronged. One, the offensive line, and, and the offensive line. 
that situation will get better because you get Calvin Anderson this summer. He'll Herb be Hand. In, he'll be in, Herb Hand. I think it, I think helps so much. And I've talked on this yeah. podcast about how I, I just think he's a phenomenal teacher. And actually, I didn't bring this up last week. At Pro Day. I ran into Darius James. Darius James was hanging out at Pro Day. Oh, nice. Um, because he's back in town. Uh, you know, he finished his career at Auburn. He's getting ready for the NFL. Um, see where he can land. And uh, we talked about Herb Hand. And keep in mind, Darius James was recruited by Stacey Searles, played one year for Joe Wickline, which mm-hmm. didn't go so well. It's one of the reasons why he ended up at Auburn. Um, and uh, so we were just talking about Herb Hand. And, you know, I, I was talking to Darius James about what he liked about Herb Hand and what the te- thought the Texas players would like about Herb Hand. And it's that, you know, just how good of a teacher he is. Like, he – it's – we talk, Rod. I know you talk all the time about millennials, and yeah. and I'm on like the fringe of that mm-hmm. group. I'm kind of in between like yeah, Gen me and Xers you are and close to that. Yeah. yeah, I'm right. I'm right on the. I think all of, of us in though. this room are like yeah. kind of on that fringe. Um, but millennials want to know why, and Darius James at Herb Hand does a really good job of explaining. We're doing this. I want it done this way, and here's why I want it done this way. Why we need to do it this way. Yep. And he said that just makes it so much easier to, to relate to. So I think Herb Hand's going to help a lot. Yeah. But the other issue Texas is facing, and I'm, I didn't even mention Mikey Grandy will get back at some point. You'll get Patrick yeah. Hudson back hopefully in the next week or two. So in yeah, terms of maybe. personnel, you're going to – by the time camp gets here in August, you'll be closer to an offensive line that should be able to, to give you more than what you got last year. The other issue is the running back personnel and the fumble problems. Which yeah, kind of yeah. came to a head last Tuesday, and Tom Herman was not happy with practice last Tuesday, and said we're going to have an open tryout at running back. <laughs> yeah, the prob like the problem there is now Cameron Townsend, who you just moved to running back, rolled an ankle in the scrimmage on Saturday, so he's out. Yeah. And Tristan Houston hyperextended a knee on Tuesday, so he's out. So Danny Young, Tennille Carter, that's it. That's what all about, you got right what's now. What's Kyle Porter? Kyle Porter's still out with an ankle injury. He's out too. Um, probably maybe the in the next week could come back, and then Kirk Johnson's still on the shelf. So you got Damn. two healthy scholarship backs right now. That's crazy. that's it. Yeah. So really, but Rod, I, I see this as a positive because it's like, look, if you're if I'm Daniel Young and Tennille Carter, and I look in the mirror, I've got to tell myself, look, if I'm going to be the guy here at some point, this is when I got to go make my move. Yep. Because there's no competition. It's me and the other guy. Mm-hmm. That's it. I only got to be All one person. Yeah. All the reps, man. And going back to the stat about three different rushers, well, if Keontae Ingram is as good as we all think, by midseason he'll be getting a ton of reps because by then I think he'll be a little bit more uh, integrated into the offense. Uh, We know Tom Herman's not afraid to play young guys that position. And right now he's making an open competition. So I expect he's probably – Keontae Ingram's probably upset he didn't come in in the spring now. You know what (laughs) I mean? He's like, damn, I could have won that damn job by the time we start the season. Uh, especially with all the injuries. But I digress. So you'll have Sam Ellinger, who was a leading rusher last year, like you said, the, the the lowest amount of rushing yards for a leading rusher at Texas since 1958, which is staggering. But he still got the dual threat ability, so we expect Sam to even run a little bit smarter, but still be a little bit more effective and efficient as a runner. Right. Uh, you got got guy like Keontae Ingram. Who's going to be the third back to step up to be like, you know, the Selvin Young of the group? You know what I mean? Like that guy, he's not necessarily a starter. He's not mainline like your Jamal Charles or your Cedric Benson at the time, or your even your Amont Taylor, but you know if you put him in there that he's reliable. Uh, you know he's effective, and he probably could start for I don't know sixty, seventy percent of college football programs out there. You're just that deep, and that's what that shows shows depth. And I like the running backs they have, but they're missing the the guy, the front line guy, the guy who has separation between themselves and the pack. Mm-hmm. Right now they're a pack. Yeah, right. you know what I mean. Not even a stable 
they're a pack of running backs, like a pack of dogs. You know what I mean? Like stable represents like thoroughbred. So yeah, in 2004 and five, Texas <laughs> had a stable of running backs: Ramon Taylor, <laughs> like Jamal potential. Charles, Cedric. Ben. Stable, stable of running backs. Selvin Young, stable of backs. Uh, I would I would describe this as a pack of it's a pack of backs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know if they're I don't know if any one of those guys is necessarily that much better than the other guy. Yeah. And that's part of the problem. And that's why at least right now, whenever you only have a couple to look at, you're going to be able to learn more about those players and at least maybe see their strengths and then may actually, you know, get the other guys that whenever they are healthy, understanding that that time with the amount of people in the heads, they have limited reps that you need to maximize the reps that you yeah. get. And then the coaches will be able to see, you know, these few guys, which ones they prefer. Keonta Ingram is kind of in the same situation Jonathan Gray was as a True, as a true freshman, when you think about oh, it, oh, that's a good, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. That was a running back group where Malcolm Brown was got hurt early in the year. Yep, Joe good. Bergeron couldn't hang on to the ball, mm-hmm. and oh, he couldn't. It was kind of like, all right, I guess we'll just let's roll with, with the DeJay kid. around. Dejay around in? Yeah, was. Uh, like, I think he integrated with that group a little bit, in, right? He was. Yeah, like, a that, that bit. was that was more of a stable because that group was talented, man. They all had like different abilities too. I don't even know if DeJay maybe, really maybe was about like that. that he might have been year. listed at running back, but he was kind of a slot. He should have been. That he, was. They, this, he wasn't listed because they were stupid. Go look at Ohio State's <laughs> roster. Ohio State's roster has like four guys, three or four guys that say running back slash receiver. Yeah. Like literally on the roster. That's a running back slash receiver. That's and it. that goes they, back they, to our conversation. They say like, man, I'll put this guy anywhere. He basically is a lot going to line up on offense, running back slash receiver. And they keep those guys. That's an, ur- ur- an Urban Meyer staple. Right. Percy, going back to Percy Harvin, those kind of things. So I don't know why Texas. They should have been doing that years ago. Don't even need labels. And I mean, yeah. when you, especially now that when you're running these jet sweeps, sometimes That's, it counts as yeah. a receiver. I mean, because you're either pitching it forward, it's now a reception, or you're yeah. handing off. I mean, it's all just dumb detail that doesn't matter when you look at which yeah. skill set. But yeah, those guys were the skill sets that should be there. But I, th- I think I think Keontae Ingram could be walking into similar situations Jonathan Gray did, where there was a point late in that year where Jonathan Gray was the guy. As a true freshman, mm-hmm. he became the guy. Yeah, I remember that, and he was uh, he was very effective too. Yeah, that's what we got excited about. Damn, oh, these man, three we got running backs. This is the be- yeah, this is the, this <laughs> one of the best we group of running backs we've had since two thousand five, or you know, what I mean, or something like that. And I think it was it was because Malcolm not- Brown played in the league, and Joe Bergeron had a shot. Joe Bergeron just just couldn't get keep his head on straight. John Gray just couldn't stay healthy, and John Gray just couldn't stay healthy. Up. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So it was one of those things. Yeah. And this group, that's why you can't plan on necessarily one guy carrying the load either. Right. Um, I want to focus on another position on offense while we got time, and that's the slot position. And, oh, yeah. Uh, that position, there's a couple of interesting happenings going on there. Number one, the, the injury situation. You had two coming into the spring, uh, one being Gerard Hurd, the other being Jordan Pouncey. Jordan Pouncey rolled an ankle last Thursday, so he was not at practice on Tuesday. Uh, he's still out. And Rod, I've I want you to talk about it because I've talked almost till I'm blue in the face, and I think people may be tired of hearing me talk about <laughs> it. But the importance of the slot position in Tom yeah. Herman's offense, we saw it at U of H, yeah, we saw it at Ohio State, yeah. Um, we even saw him do it with a guy like James Casey at Rice, where you kind of just put him mm-hmm. all over the place. When you've got that guy, the right guy that fits that skill set. You can do so many different things with that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And right now, I don't know that Texas has that guy. Lil Jordan Humphrey did start to work in at the slot in the scrimmage on Saturday. I'm glad. Tom Herman yeah, said. I think he's got that skill set. And oh, they yeah. introduced their 10 personnel package on Saturday and did it some on Tuesday's practice and during the closed portion. 
And Tom Herman said they put Lil Jordan Humphrey in the slot during the, during uh, during when they went ten personnel. Yeah. So that gives you that gives me some confidence because I think Rod right now, based on what they've got, Lil Jordan Humphrey is probably their best option for when you look at what Tom Herman wants in the slot receiver. Mm-hmm. He's probably the best option they've got. You want a guy you can put in motion on the speed sweeps. A uh, guy you can move <laughs> around. Shift. Former running back. Yeah, exactly. You can shift him into the backfield at times. Uh, so I, I think, yeah, the multiplicity that he wants in that skill set, Lil Jordan Humphrey right now is your best. I'm, I'm not even saying Lil Jordan Humphrey is the most ideal for him. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying Lil Jordan Humphrey, in my opinion, from what I've seen, is the best guy for that. And, you know, even with Gerard, I, I mean, obviously Gerard Hurt is one of those guys, too, I think has a multiple skill set. And that, I don't know if he's playing more on the outside or the inside, but I think, you know, Gerard Hurd is a guy that can can handle that and has a really a multiple skill set. You want a guy that basically when you hand the ball off to him or you give him that quick pitch, which might be a reception or whatever, it might be considered just a, you know, a, a pitch that they can immediately become an effective runner. Right. Yes. Like and they and they have that kind of natural instinct as a runner. A lot of wide receivers don't have that yak ability, yards after the catch ability. Uh, I think Lil Jordan Humphrey's got it. We've seen that even when he lines up in the Wildcat. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, Rod Hurd's got that. Yeah, let me, let me Hold on, man. Let me give you Tom Herman. I asked him on Tuesday what he wants in that slot receiver position, like okay. what, what he ideally wants. And this was his answer. He said, I think ideally you would like a guy that can motion into the backfield and do mm-hmm. some things out of the backfield, mainly on some speed sweep type of things, but also be able to hand the ball off on other things. Oh, yeah. You like a guy that's quick and fast enough to make plays in space in the RPO game on bubbles and quick hitters. Uh, he also talked about Linnell Bonner, who was a different guy at Houston. He said Linnell Bonner was 6'2", 215, and he said the thing they were able to do with oh, Linnell boy. Bonner was – Worked him. Uh, work. He was a really good working routes off nickels and linebackers. They didn't motion him into the backfield as much. He went on to say, "I think there's an ideal one that you like, which is what I described first. If that guy doesn't exist until you go recruit one exactly. or develop one, then you've got to adapt. Exactly. I think we've done a pretty good job of that. But Rod, yeah. this goes back to your exactly thirty right. forty theory. Mm-hmm. I think of the thirty forty guys in the program right now. Why can't Lil Jordan Humphrey be a thirty forty guy? I definitely think he's a guy that has that skill set, and I'm glad that Tom Herman said it like that because uh, you know every now and Lil Jordan Humphrey may fit. What's the uh, U of H player you just mentioned? Yeah, 6'2", 15. Yeah, because he's not necessarily – because DeJay, to me, has the, has the perfect body type and explosivity that you wanted from that position. He's kind of like that Percy, start, Harvin, yeah. the Percy Harvin guy. You know what yeah. I mean? You can line him in the backfield. You can put him – you can motion him out. You can shift him, whatever. But when you necessarily don't have that guy, which is what he mentioned, the ideal player for that position – um, or the Eric Metcalf, you want to go way, way back for comparisons, then you got to find a guy who fits that skill set best within the parameters of your offense. Right now, that's Lil Jordan Humphrey. We know Lil Jordan Humphrey's got a knack for being able to break tackles. Um, he's strong enough to do it, and he played all over when he played in high school. So I think you just try to, you know, you try to develop that if you're talking about I mean, while you go out. It's like the B-backer position, right, for Todd Orlando. Jason Hall. Um, was the guy who ended up in that position and playing it. And I don't necessarily know if he was their ideal fit, but once they got into the Big 12 and figured it out, you're like, you know what? Jason Hall really fits. He's the best. He's the most ideal fit for us right now. DeMarvion Obershawn is the guy they recruited to right. basically breed him to be a B-backer in yeah. that ideal role. Tom Herman's going to do that at one point, maybe with the next class. He's going he's gonna, he's gonna to pick out a player that basically can breed and develop into being the ideal slot receiver. He doesn't have the ideal guy right now, but, hey, man, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Yeah. Texas, <laughs> Texas yeah. for that slot position, sorry, Matt, I'll let you get to the advanced stats here in a sec, but Texas is recruiting uh, – 
Tabari Hines from Wake Forest is as a grad transfer. 53 catches, 683 yards, and seven touchdowns last year for Wake Forest. Sly guy. Sly guy, yeah. yeah. So that, it's it's that big of a need that, you know, when you look at the available mm-hmm. grad transfer spots, obviously, you know, maybe you could take another offensive lineman. You know, tight end is a position that because of Andrew Beck's health, they could look at a grad transfer tight end again for the second year in a row. But that's how important the slot position is that Tom Herman is willing to go to the grad transfer market to yeah. see what they can find to fill that role. Go yeah, ahead, find something to fit because you don't even know if, like, say, Lil Jordan may fit somewhere else also. And that's the main thing with the position versatility that he wants to have guys that really at every position can then be put in motion and put in a situation where you can get that mismatch. And you look at Lil Jordan Humphrey, he fits that 30-40 profile very well. Oddly, though, as more of a, a receiver than yeah. all the other guys are normally a running back. But because we know his history as a running back, him even wanting to line up there, like you, I remember we brought up uh, back at the end of the season, but when you look at his limited amount of rushes last season, but his highlight yards per carry, that's just you in open space, what you break past the offensive line, which you earn by yourself as a runner. Yep. He is better than any Anybody the last three years now it's only nine carries but comparably like say the freshman or I think it was the sophomore year Deontay Foreman it was eight highlight yards for carrying he had a lot more carries a guy like Kirk Johnson his freshman year in a limited amount of carries had a double digit number only other player to have a double digit number is Lil Jordan Humphrey in his few carries so that's just shows that highlight ability in mm-hmm. space when you can get that mismatch but when you look at his catch rate and his target rate I mean from last season when he was still pretty raw, you look at almost 60% catch rate is higher than Colin Johnson. It was 59.4 to 54.5. You look at his target rate, just the amount of time that he's on the field and he's targeted amongst the pass plays. It's up there with what Armani Foreman's was the year before this year. He actually beat Armani, who was at 9%. It was Hemphill Maps at 11%. And then Jordan Humphrey up at 13.5. And, and, of course, Colin Johnson, he was up at 20, which is an astronomical number. But across the board, it's like he fits both profiles of a good runner and a good collegiate receiver so you know that that piece is used now it just means he's going to stay on the field where's he going to be and which one's he going to be used now it's time to find which other receivers have that type of versatility so you can go and find out how they're going to be used because I bet the more of these like it's a good way to decipher if you're looking at a depth chart trying to figure out who is going to be the one on the field it's going to be the one that can also do the other thing and be motioned to a position that say he's comfortable enough executing the game plan right I, I want to take a big picture approach here before we talk about the scrimmage and, and some other things to close it out in the, about 10 minutes we got left. But Tom Herman mentioned this when he was talking about defensive line at his press conference the day before spring ball started, and he was talking about this uh, in, in reference to Taquan Graham. And he said that, and I don't have the quote in front of me, so I'm going to paraphrase, but basically defensive line-wise, they're looking for – more so versatile they're valuing versatility over specialization. Okay. Oh, that's what I like that. Yeah. Very and much. When I, I like that. when I start looking I just I just want to get one. your take cuz we talk about how mm-hmm. specialized football was becoming when we would get on here and talk about guys like DJ Monroe and and guys that fit just a certain role. Is it now where so you look at the NFL, and we talk about versatility being huge at the NFL level where mm-hmm. you're always trying to get the salary cap in your favor and, hey, maybe I'll carry this one offensive lineman who can play, you know, 
center guard and tackle or center and guard, and I can get rid of this guy who's mm-hmm. you know just a guard and yeah. is a veteran guy, and I can save two three million dollars on the cap and pay this young cat a little less money. So I think it's starting at the NFL level, but I think you're starting to see it maybe trickle back down to college football where it's like, okay, how can we maximize our scholarship count because we only get 85 of these maximum and only about 25 a year. So we need to start valuing things like versatility, like recruit a guy that if he doesn't work at wide receiver, can we flip him over and have him play corner? Mm-hmm. Uh, if he doesn't work out at defensive tackle, can he maybe go to the offensive line? Like, what different skill sets do these guys have? So I just want to get your kind of 30,000-foot view on do you think football is just going back to valuing versatility over specialization, or do you still think there's still a pretty big you know, section of football, especially at the collegiate level, where specialization is a must? Um, I think some guys, their system, they're so – uh, committed to their system that, yeah, they're all about specialization. I think overall football is becoming way more diverse and, 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 and versatile. So you period. think the trend is already specialization is already in? I think multiplicity is kind of taking over the thought process of multiplicity because there's so many different ways where it can benefit you. And you're even seeing it, you know, I think uh, in how open-minded people are being about, like you just pointed out about the NFL, right? Now you're starting to see the quarterbacks with the diverse skill sets. That's also mm-hmm. in it too. I mean, that's just being open about it. Uh, we brought up the Connor Williams last week and how, you know, people are hating on Connor Williams. He's getting negative uh, criticism, if you will, uh, because he can play guard and tackle, and they don't know which one he's going to be at the NFL level. And it's like, well, once he's three years into the league and proves he can play, then it's going to be his biggest asset. He's going to get paid a ton mm-hmm. of money because he can play guard and tackle. Yeah, back them both up. Yeah, you know what I mean? So oh. it's like, uh, look at Belichick, right? Look at Belichick for all things, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and look <laughs> He's at, like God. Right? Look at the way he— well, But the yeah, dark side there. The, the greatest coach in college football is also from the Belichick tree. He is the greatest mind in the history mm-hmm. of football at any level. Look how he uses his running backs. He doesn't necessarily want a guy that's going to pound the rock and be specialized at pound the rock. He's like, yeah, if I get that guy, I'll use LeGarrette Blunt that way. But he likes the Deion Lewis's of the world, those guys that can also be pass catchers. They're dual threat guys, you know what I mean, in terms of their uh, the way, the, yeah, the way that you can use them and utilize those guys. So I think, yeah, and, and I would say this about Belichick, so we're talking about him. You know, Belichick was the first guy. Go look at his rosters. He has guys that are listed as DBs. doesn't even list them as corners or safeties. Right. All right, because he moves them around so much. And one week, yeah, they're playing dime or nickel. Next week, he's playing safety. And that's why he likes guys that at, at the college level have played both safety and corner. So I think, yeah, it's happening slowly but surely. But if you're locking, if you're if you're land locking or position locking guys in and you're typecasting guys, I yeah. should say, then I think that's a little bit ignorant. I mean, yeah. I think you should think outside the box about a player's skill set and think, you know, this guy's a football player. Look at him at a football player first. And then let's try to see the best way to utilize this football player. It's like the Quandre Diggs thing you said, right? Remember the Quandre Diggs yeah. story you got? And that's a perfect like, example. What the hell? <laughs> okay, so the Quandre is a great example of what I've seen in other sports like basketball. But it's the same thing you're talking about in football. When you look at the skill set of a player, he does something well. He's specialized there. But the need to be versatile means, well, is he at least satisfactory at the other things? Not just horrid at something that it's then going to be exploited yeah. via mismatch. The same way you see a guy like Jalil Okafor cannot be played in the NBA anymore because his defensively is so bad that even if you're yeah. so great offensively, the void that you leave is so cavernous that you are not even afforded to be on there. Mm-hmm. Same thing with football. If, like, say, well, you know, he's a guy that really can't run the rock that well or pass puck, but he knows what we need to do and can get the job done that he can then stay yeah. on the field and then his specialization's there. But if needed, he can get us by and not kill us at the other position for a play mm-hmm. and it allows us then the versatility and you 
you have that safety guard that all your skill sets are about at satisfactory. You don't have one void. When you have that one void, the good coaches, the good schemes, they're just going to attack it and get that switch in basketball and then beat you every single yep. time. It's the same type of idea with football. They're going to bring the blitz. You'll see it in the NFL when it's an offensive lineman because very rarely is something so individualized in football that you can attack it, but you can do it. And that's where if the running back's so good at a few other things, it's like, yeah, but he can't pass block on the plays. We can't keep him on the field. You yeah. know, it's that, that same and idea. You, and then in, in that vein, you give away what you're going to do. Yes. Like the defense now gets easier for them to game plan and so you strategize have that, that against baseline. you. Because like, oh, that guy's in the game? When that guy's in the game, all they do is this. It's like Cole yeah. McCoy's so whole know. career is built yeah. on he has just enough to get by in the NFL to be a good backup because they know he's just mobile enough, a good enough yeah. arm. He's going to work hard. He gets it and all that. But he's not, you know, glaringly bad at one thing or really great at the other. Yeah. So he keeps the job. So I guess if you look at Texas offensively, Rod, when you look at the – let's look at the wide receiver positions, mm-hmm. for example. I'll look at the two outside positions. Your ex receiver, which is Colin Johnson, Lil Jordan Humphrey, Brennan Eagles, that's that group this spring – your ex receiver can no longer be it's no longer Plexico Burris. You can't just be a guy who's six five that goes and gets the jump ball. Yeah. You've got to be able to run. You've got to be able to stretch the field a little bit. You've got to be able to do other things. Likewise, your Z receiver can't just be a track guy. Like yeah. you can't just be a guy that just go run that yeah, nine route, son. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you on that. And then mm-hmm. you start to look at I mean, even when one trick like pony, you yeah. want, it's you want that quality. You want the six five, six four, six six guy that can win on the outside in your X receiver, and you want the Z receiver that can blow the top off a of defense. But they've got to be able to do other things other than those one thing, other than those two. That's Otherwise, they're just Johnson a one trick pony and easier to defend. Times. Yeah, because yeah, and that's a good point. Because then it's, as a corner. I mean, I love when guys are typecast like that. Yeah, so you know what they're going to do. It makes it so I know exactly easy to guard. He's running go routes 63% of the time. All right. <laughs> I just got to get ready to open my hips up. Because, and then, other than that, all he does is he'll run the curl to combat that. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. yeah, you want a guy that can run the route tree. I mean, that's the big thing it does right now, right? Yeah. He's working with a route guru in, like, what, his seventh, eighth year in the league? because David Robinson is very good, by the way. I have, I've heard I good things D-Rob, about him. Yeah, but the fact that they say doesn't think that he's a great route runner. And now that he's an old man and he's not a freak receiver not like precise. he used to be and doesn't have Romo to throw the ball and have great ball placement. With Dak, he's like, dude, I need you to create separation. I need yeah. you to get away from the DB so I can put it on you in a spot. And Dez is not used to that. Dez, yeah. does, Dez has never been a great route runner. He's been a mm-hmm. freak receiver. So, yeah, even if, like Dez, you wanted him out there as your as your ex-wide receiver, but now you need to move him around because he's going on 30. I would love to be able to put Dez in the slot more and have him work there and get a miss match but he doesn't know how to run great routes yeah you know what i mean and so yes to your point that's what you want from your guys get you to want satisfactory to at that point then yeah. you can keep Improve them on the field your weaknesses you can start off as the six six guy like colin johnson yeah. or just the track guy like john burt but i need you to evolve mm-hmm. right. and then as you evolve you're becoming more well-rounded football player. and those are two good examples of why i yeah. think at times we how, see those guys off the field how exactly. would you say rod how okay and i know we got to wrap this up here pretty quick and there's one thing i want to get to but this is, intrigues me how would you you look at a guy like randy moss yeah, man. Oh. How did Randy, in your opinion, how did Randy Moss evolve? Because Randy Moss earlier in his career, He's he was the guy that just go, yes. run, the, run the nine route. That's it. It's all we need you to do. No, but I could, he but, could but, also but be a slot receiver coming out. Like, he the dude could, but he, he wasn't often put there. He's usually no, put no, on the he outside. Wasn't put there. But the reason that you're talking about 
once in a lifetime talent. You're talking about the yeah. LeBron James or the wide receiver position. Yeah, you know what, young man? If you are that specialized and that <laughs> good at it, if you are Steph Curry and you can shoot threes like that, okay. shoot threes. Yeah. So, so Randy Moss didn't need beings, to Yeah, most human okay. beings aren't like that. Yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? Most human beings aren't like that. Because that, we're that, talking about the bottom once of the roster. In every 30, 40 years type talent. So you ain't got to worry about it. If you're lucky enough to deal with that problem, have Randy Moss and, be, and have to teach him to be a great route runner, God bless you. Yes. <laughs> Is that what I was doing? Because like, he's scoring touchdowns by himself already. Not to, not to stick on the receiver position, but everybody gets hung up. Michael Irvin ran a 4-7-40. Yeah, he did. But look at everything else he did that yeah. was so good. Yeah, and Michael Irvin's a great example. And Jerry Rice is the, uh, the ultimate example. Jerry Rice wasn't mm-hmm. a speedster. Right. Look at is his there route still that level precise. of chemistry that's needed between yeah. that quarterback? But and that's that, true, too. That comes with time. But yeah. first you have to have these that's other qualities get you there. And then, like, once you get to form that chemistry over time, it's the same way. It's like when you think about that's a chemical we compound. We have enough, but you're right. Well, you get a uh, chemical pam- compound and throw one different thing, it entirely changes every single atom. Dez and Dak doesn't work as well exactly. as Dez and Roma. Because oh, now I mean? you go yeah. and turn yeah. what C3HH propane, C3H9, I don't know what the hell it is, but it isn't propane. Like, yeah. that's the same idea. We need Hank Hill to come on here and talk to us about propane and propane. I only know that, but you'll appreciate it because that's how <laughs> David Kaliki Alai, the flying Hawaiian, learns his uh, from Pe- Peggy Hill, that propane. propane. He, had, he had a big schedule, Matt. They had yes. Belton, San Marcos, and McMainerberry on, on the schedule. Yeah. <laughs> it's so cool when you're watching Hank and they're talking about taking on those schools, you know. Oh, yeah. Temple. Belton, San Marcos, McMainerberry, Peggy. McMainerberry. It's Terry Bradshaw yelling, too. Um, anyway, so let's go ahead and get to some scrimmage talk from the 40. And uh, Tom Herman talked about the scrimmage on Saturday, and he talked about practice in general. <clears throat> he said the offense won the scrimmage on Saturday because they didn't turn the ball over and they got touchdowns in the red zone. Um, said they really owned the red zone, which when you look at how bad Texas was offensively in the yeah, red zone last year, 100th in the country. And, Matt, I know Matt, you and I talked about this a couple years ago. Red zone efficiency is one of those statistics mm-hmm. that can be deceiving in yes. terms of where you rank. But you look at the production Texas offensively had, 47 red zone possessions, only 29 touchdowns. Ah, well, that's not a bad TD rate, but what's the overall amount of scores? Uh, I think it was 35. 35, yeah, yeah. You need to get points, like 80% every single time down there. 90% is what you want for sure. You know, defensively, you look at you look at the Texas defense. Uh, One of the best red for zone defenses. 40, Texas defense, 43 red zone trips, 21 touchdowns. Yes. And I think it was something like 26 scores or 27 That's better, under 50% yeah. TD yeah. rate. That's good. So, but the, so the offense wins the scrimmage, but the defense – they got theirs too in the scrimmage. Uh, this is according to Tom Herman. The defense forced 10 3 and outs and got off the field on 20 of 28 third down tries by the offense. Yet the mm. offense still won the scrimmage, uh, according to Tom Herman. So he <laughs> likes. Is that possible? Yes. Well, he, you know, because he said that the, those. This goes back to last year. Well, this, well, this goes back to last year. One of the things that we saw with the defense. On the conversions that were given up, they were long yardage conversions that yeah, eventually led to touchdowns. Big, yeah, explosive plays. Explosive plays. Mm-hmm. So, but he's talking about this give and take, Rod, and, and you go back to the scrimmage reports we were hearing last year, and, and this kind of goes with what we heard, which was the defense, for the most part, according to the, to the eye test from people who were there, the defense had a really good scrimmage on Saturday. Mm-hmm. But you go back to last spring and last fall, and the reports coming out of the scrimmages were, eh, they didn't run the ball very well. Uh, that was the first scrimmage, the second scrimmage. Eh, didn't run the ball very well. Yeah. And as it turns out, they weren't very good running the football. True. So, real quick, Rod, we got a couple minutes left, and we'll pick this up next week. But what's your take on Tom Herman's uh, Tom Herman's stance that, hey, 
as long as both sides are having success in a scrimmage situation, I can live with that, and I feel like we're getting better. Uh, yeah, it's hard to judge in scrimmage situations, man. It really is because yeah. you didn't. Texas didn't know they were going to have one of the best defenses in the country last year, but it turns out that's mm-hmm. why their defense had you know won a lot of the scrimmages and dominate the scrimmages. So it's hard to tell unless you got a lot of talent there. Uh, but I will say that for Tom Herman, offense is what he needs to focus on. That's why. Even though the defense had their stats, statistically, they won a lot of battles third down. Um, he's going to say the offense won. I think he's trying to give them confidence because he knows the biggest project for him in the offseason is the offense. Mm-hmm. The defense is going to be fine. Todd Orlando is going to be fine. Don't worry. But as long as you don't mess with Todd Orlando, he'll be fine. I think we all agree right. with that. Yeah. Uh, he needs to fix that offense bad. So I think that's his priority right now. Okay, next week we'll preview the spring game. I also want to get some quarterback talk in next week. Some of the positive things I've seen from Sam Ellinger this spring uh, that I really, really like and I think bode well going into the offseason. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for Travis, the best damn videographer in the podcast game. For everybody at 104.9 The Horn AM 1260, The Horn app, hornfm.com, where you can hear Rod on the Rodcast each and every weekday from 1 to 3. Same as plug. And thanks to Matt, you get us on iTunes, TuneIn, and every podcast and our archives, interviews, all that stuff you can find on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I am Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.